Good morning again. Um, so, how do you pray for people? I don't mean how, like you open your mouth, but like, what do you pray for people? That I've had several times in my life, I'm imagining you have too, where it's like, there's this, you know, a believer in my life, and it's like, I just don't even know how to pray for them. Like, I, I don't know what to pray for them. Like, in this moment, what they're going through, the circumstances seem so big, they seem so overwhelming, it's like, what do I even pray? Or maybe, just words escape us, and it's just a normal time of life, and it's like, how do, how do I pray for this person. Well, what should I pray for this person? Well, we're getting the real Lord's Prayer here in John chapter 17. And we're from the very mouth of God Himself to the ear of God Himself. We're hearing what Jesus prays for us. I'd say it's a pretty good place to start. So when you run out of things to pray or when you run out of what to pray for people because you just don't know what to do in the moment. I'd encourage you to go read this prayer, read this section of the prayer. Some great things to pray for people. Uh, so we're going to listen in to Jesus' prayer, uh, in this case for his 11 disciples, and then by extension us, as he prays for them. So we're working our way, we're kind of wrapping up the farewell discourse in these last couple of messages. Um, within this discourse, he's talked about preparing them for the world's opposition. Uh, he's talking about leaving, which has been a key theme as he's going back to the Father during this time. And so he's wrapping up the farewell discourse, sprinting to the cross that is like, you know, 12 hours away, if that at this point, running his way to the cross. And so how does, what does he choose to do in that moment? He chooses to stop and to pray. Yeah, I think like, this is God. He is not running out of material to talk to his disciples about. But what do his disciples need? They need his prayer. They need him talking to the Father on their behalf. And so that's what he does. And so again, the real Lord's Prayer is Jesus actually praying, praying for himself, praying for the people around him. And he's wrapping up all these big themes from the farewell discourse, right? And so we've dealt with the glory of God throughout the farewell discourse. We've dealt with the mission of God in the farewell discourse. We've dealt with the world's hostility in the farewell discourse. We've dealt with the obedience of the Son all the way to the point of death in the farewell discourse. And now he's praying with all those themes being woven back together within his prayer. And it moves with three kind of movements. We talked about the first one last week. He prays for himself. God, glorify me. Glorify me on this cross, this horrific, utterly shameful, disgusting thing I'm about to do called the cross. Glorify me there. Point to how great I am. Point to how worthy I am. To Point to how gracious and majestic and wonderful I am using this awful thing called the cross. And then bring me back to the glory I had forever in the place of angels, in the place of heaven where I was glorified for all of eternity. And now restore me back to that place, but restore me back to that place with this trail of people that will follow in now because of the work of the cross where heaven will be increasingly filled up with the voices of people redeemed because of this glorifying and horrifying cross. Glorify me, Father. And then this section today, he prays for his 11 disciples specifically, the apostles, um, the ones that are left. And then um, in a couple of weeks, this last movement will be, he'll pray for us, the church. Those who will believe because of the ministry of these 11 men. 
Uh, and so that's what we're looking at today. Um, and so this week we're praying for the 11 disciples, and it's focused on this. God, secure their faithfulness. Secure them to yourself. And then grow them, sanctify them, and send them into a world of need. All right? And so secure them in yourself because of all they're going to face. They need you. And then you grow them and launch them out into the world on your mission. That's what he's going to pray. So uh, let's look at it in John chapter 17, 6 through 19 is where we'll be. And Jesus says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you've given me out of it. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And all yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of this world. Just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. But that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself. That they also may be sanctified. In truth, let's pray. So, Father, we ask that you sanctify us in truth. We ask that you burn within us a desire for your truth. We ask, Father, that you would saturate our lives with the truth of this book. And that you'd send us. Lord, we confess sometimes we want to be glued to our seat. We want to be glued to our circle. And we want you, God, to break us free and send us. And Lord, we pray, uh, as Jesus has prayed for his disciples and prayed for us, secure us, God. If you don't keep us, we will not be kept. If you do not secure us, we will not be secure. But you have kept us. You have secured us. And so we pray that you would keep doing it. Lord, would you do all of this for us and more? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus prays for his disciples' continued faithfulness. Jesus prays for his disciples' continued faithfulness. Let's look at the first part. For the Father to answer because they have seen and embraced the gospel word. For the Father to answer because they have seen and embraced the gospel word. Um, so if you're learning to pray, or if you want to grow in your prayer life, there's something that I don't think we... Uh, apply a lot or we even think about a lot but if you go throughout the old testament and if you were to look through a lot of the prayers that happen in the old testament and it happens here as well as why i bring it up is there will be oftentimes the prayers that are, are offered up to god start with 
a good reason for God to answer. Like they start with God, here's what you're like. And so this is what I'm praying. God, here's what you've promised. So here's what I'm praying. God, you've made a covenant. So here's what I'm praying. And so I would encourage you to, as you pray, not necessarily every request, but especially as there's things that really burn on your heart in prayer, I would encourage you to, to ask yourself the question, why in God's character and why in God's promises might he answer that request? And it's not like I got to rub the genie lamp of God the right way or he won't answer. But it is one of the patterns that we see throughout Scripture is God, like this is what you're like. And so my prayers are flowing out of your character. They line up. God, here are the things you've promised and they're lavish and they're amazing. Or God, here's covenants you've made with us that are lavish and amazing. And so, God, I just want to, based on that, want to ask for this. Now, don't forget... Like You're not trying to pry something from the hand of a miserly um, God looking to strike you. You're not trying to like unclench a clenched fist. You are asking of a father who is lavishly generous, who's given his son. So how will he not freely give us all things with him? And so like you're asking the heart of a generous father for the good gifts that he's promised. And so like make sure our mentality of prayer is right. But is there a good reason? That God might answer this based on his character and based on his promises. That's what we're going to see Jesus do here uh, in, in these first couple of verses. So let's look at it. First, there's this overview. The grounds for God to answer. Like, God, here's a good reason for you to answer. Why? They're ours, God. They're our people. They belong to us. They've believed the word. They've believed the gospel. That's why you should answer what I'm about to pray for them. Right. And so that's going to be the the grounds for his asking. And then the first request doesn't come until the second part of verse 11. And that first request kind of centers around this idea. God, secure them. God, keep them. God, guard them. I did that while I was on earth. I made sure they didn't fall away. I made sure they stayed faithful. I made sure that the world didn't grab a hold of them and steal them back. But I'm going away, God. So God, secure them. God, keep them. God, keep them in faithfulness to who you are. And then the second request is doesn't happen until verse 17. And the second request in verse 17, God, would you sanctify them? Would you make them holy? Would you set them apart for your purposes? And the purposes that I want you to set them apart for is your mission into the world. I've been sent and now I want them. And now I'm sending. I'm sending them. And so based on them being your people, based on your love for them, answer. Keep them. Grow them. Keep them, sanctify them. Let's look at it as we unpack it. And so in, in, in 6 through 8, kind of that first section is focused on word and truth. And so if you notice, or as you, we go through the passage now, I'll just point out some key words that you can notice. Uh, the first kind of key word that's repeated over and over is word or truth. And so like, I've given them your word. They've known your word. They've received your word or they've received your truth. They believed that you sent me. Sanctify them in truth. And so word and truth become these key words that run throughout the passage. And how they interact, how Jesus has revealed that word and truth. And then how they interact with that word and truth. It becomes a key theme. Another key theme is name. The name of God is repeated throughout the, the, the passage as a basis of what he wants to keep them in your name. I've revealed your name. So what is he saying? Well, when he uses this idea of name, keep them in name, what is he saying? Your revealed character. So name in scripture uh, is the revealed character of the person. And so like we don't talk uh, talk this way as much anymore. But it's like I want to have a good name. 
Meaning I want to have a good reputation. I want people to see my character as upright and reputable and has integrity. And so I want to have a good name in the community. Or I want to have a good name within the church. Well, that's, that's what is meant by name here. God, your, your, your revealed character, who you are, what you're like, your reputation. Like, that's what I want you to keep them in, your character. That's what I want you to keep them aligned with. And so that's a key theme that runs throughout it. Um, the world is a key theme. These dudes called the disciples were just trucking around the world like you truck around in the world. Like the other people that rejected Jesus were just trucking around in the world. There was nothing special about them. Except for that Jesus called them out of the world. That Jesus went into the mess of humanity, God rejecting humanity, and called them out to himself. And that's why they're getting prayed for right now. They were just in the world. And then Jesus came and said, here's who God is. Here's who I am, the revelation of God. Here's the character of God on display in a human being, disclosing what God is like, which is the whole point of the book of John, and calling them out of the world, and they follow him. Out of that same world that they're not anymore. They are in the world, right? Jesus doesn't want them taken out. But they aren't of the world anymore. They are of they're just like Jesus isn't of the world. They're not of the world anymore. And so that's a key theme that runs throughout. And then the last one is keep. They've kept your word. Keep them. Keep them from the evil one. And so he structures his prayer around these words that are, are repeated. And so let's look. The first part of the, kind of this basis is all about the word. It's all about what I would say is the gospel word. And so I've manifested my name I've manifested your name to them, God. I've shown them what you're like. I've shown them your character because the Son came to reveal the Father to the world. No one has known God at any time, but the Son, the only Son that is in the bosom of the Father has come and he's made him known. Like, that's the point of John. That's the first chapter, right? And so I've come and I've said, here's God. Here's what he's like. I've come and said, I'm revealing him to you. Here's what he's like. And then they left the world that they were a part of and came into this new existence in relationship to God based on that revelation. And and then it's like, look at this, because this is, if, if you really look at these words, it's like, wait, what? So look at this. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now look at this. Yours they were, and you have given them to me. We'll finish that. But look at the link here. Before anything happened, God, they belong to you. Wait, what? They belong to you, so I show up on the scene and I show you to them. And then what happens? They're yours. Wait. So these people belong to the Father before they belong to Jesus. And then Jesus made the Father known to them, called them out of the world. They became his. And that's the link in the chain. But then what happens? They kept your word. Now we get to their side of the equation, right? And so you see from here in these next couple of verses, as he goes and like, here's why you should answer God. Here's why you should listen to my prayer for them, Father. Here's what you should hear. They were already yours. Now they're yours because I've shown you to them by, by my work and by the coming uh, work of the cross and the gospel. But look at this. And they've kept your word. They've kept what I would say is the gospel word. That I have declared to them. And so now it becomes on them. Like why should you listen God? Because they keep your word. They obey your gospel. And that's the way that Jesus speaks about the gospel. Throughout the book of John. Is it's obedience to the gospel. But what does obedience to the gospel mean? It's the obedience of faith. 
They believed it. And that's what he says in the next verse. They received your word. And so now like all of this is now on the human side of the equation. They kept your word. They obeyed the gospel by believing it. They've received your word. They've brought it into their life. They believed that you sent me. And that's why they're mine. That's why they're yours. That's why you should listen to them because of how they've embraced this gospel word. They've kept the word, your word. They know that everything has been given from you. I've given them the words that you gave me and they received them. And they know in truth that I came from you. And look at this. They have believed you sent me. And so God, listen to them. Or, or God, I pray for them. God, you should hear my prayer for them. Father, you should totally answer. There are people now. There are people. There are people who love your word. Not just the words of scripture. It, it's word singular. They've loved your gospel. They've kept your gospel. They've believed your gospel. They believe that you sent me. They believe I'm the Messiah. They believe I'm the Savior. And so that's why you should, that's why you should answer what I'm praying for them. And then look at the other kind of shade of meaning here. And so first, they've believed, received, kept, obeyed the gospel. And then secondly, they're ours. And do you see this? Like, he's like, I'm not praying for these, the world out there. I'm praying for these men. I'm praying for these 11 out of all of humanity. I care about them. They're special to us. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. And again, you're kind of like, wait, what, huh? God loves the world. You should be praying for the world now. No, 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 no. Now, God is eminently concerned with the world in the book of John. John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus, chapter 4. He is the savior of the world. Uh, Chapter 3, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. But now in his closing moments when Jesus prays, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for these men. I'm praying for these that you've given me out of the world. Why? Look at this. Verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. Why? For they are yours. All mine are yours. All yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Why does he pray for these 11 men specifically? Because these 11 men are his children now are children of the Father now. They belong to God now. And so does God love the world? Yes. Does God love his creation? Yes. Did God send a Savior for the world? Yes. But there is a special way that the Father loves his people that is utterly different and distinct than the way he loves the rest of the world. And that makes sense, right? You know, I love all kids, some more than others. No, I love all children. Hopefully you too. I, I, even when those I haven't met, like I love kids, it grieves me if something bad happens to kids. I love when kids are happy and have great things happen to them. But it's not the same way that I love my kids. Right? And so we get that. Like God loves the world, he made them all, but man, there is a special way he loves you as his children that's just different. It's just more. And that's what he's saying. They're yours. You care about them in a special way, different from the world. So I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world out there. They're yours. And then he um, kind of is about to lead into his, his, his request. And he says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Before the face of Jesus is, I know my time is short. I know how I'm leaving. I know when I'm leaving. I know what's about to happen. And that is going to leave these men by themselves. Now, not by themselves because he's going to send the helper. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. But but Jesus is so aware of his coming death. And, and what consumes him with his death on the doorstep? 
What's going to happen to these guys? God, all the things I was doing in their lives, I'm not going to be there to do it anymore. I'm coming to you, and that's amazing. I'm coming to you to restore the fullness of my glory that I've had forever, and that's amazing. But I'm not going to be with them anymore. I'm not going to be in the world anymore because I'm coming to you. And that motivates this prayer that is coming for his life. And so Jesus separates out all of humanity into these groups. And so there's a way that God loves his children that is so different than the way he loves anybody else. So amazingly better. Which means there's a way that God loves you if you are in Jesus Christ that is so amazingly better than the way he loves anyone else in the world or anyone outside of him in the world. Which means he loves you with the massive spiritual failures that are part of your life and may be hidden from anyone else's view. And yet there's a way God loves you that is so much better and so much more powerful and more distinct than the way he loves the world out there. With your hidden sin, with sins of your past that still mark shame over your life, there is a way that the Father loves you that is beyond compared to the way He loves the world out there. Because His love for you isn't based on what you've done. And your lo- His love for you isn't based on your failure rate or your success rate. His love for you doesn't change based on the massive failures or the, the shames and the stigmas of your past. His love for you is built on one simple thing. The gospel word. He loves you because he loves his son. He sees you the way he sees his son. And so would you remind yourself of that? It is so easy to let the voices of our flesh and our heart or the voices outside of us speak to us and define us and tell us who we should be and how we should feel and how we should think about ourselves. And it's so hard to discipline ourselves to open up this book and say, but how does God see me? What does God say about me? Because what the Father says about me is your, is, is like your mind. And I love you, and I love you in a way that is not even in comparison to the way I think about the rest of my created world. He loves you, and let that, if you need to write it on a card, write it on a card. But whatever you need to do to remind your heart that that is the truth of how God sees and what God says based on what God has done in His Son, then you need to stamp that on your heart. And don't let any other voice tell you something different than that. So the first, the father, he wants the father to answer because they've seen and embraced this gospel word. This, the first request, the second point here, he's praying for the father to secure them in the face of the world's temptation and opposition. He's praying for the father to secure them in the face of the world's temptation and opposition. So uh, I was never a country club guy, but uh, one summer I worked at a country club and it was a nice one. Uh, so worked at this really nice country club, worked at the golf course. And so, you know, we'd, we'd have to get balls off the range for the, the, the car, you know, the big tractor couldn't get, or we'd have to maintain things or, you know, go out and help people that broke down the car, whatever. Like we were the, we were the scrubs that were just did what we were told. But this amazing thing on Mondays, they would shut down for maintenance or, or whatever reason. And what they'd let the workers do is the workers could go play this really amazing golf course, uh, on Mondays, anytime they wanted. Now, what I did would be very loosely called playing, not really good at it, but it was a lot of fun. So buddies and I that worked there, we'd go out and we'd take a cart and we'd go throughout the, uh, go play golf on the course. Great day, great fun. So one time we were up there and uh, coming up to a green and I think I had my, 
If you played golf, like you take two clubs with you if you're real close and you just walk and then the other guy has to drive. Uh, and so that's what I was doing. And um, so he pulls up the green. There's this green, this nice little hill, cart path, a little further down the hill, steep drop, another green. Like that's how this hole was set up, uh, back to back with another. And so I get out, I'm walking, or I mean, I'm walking up, I'm, you know, up there towards the green. This guy jumps out, my buddy, and he's like, he's running up to the green and we're about to go play. And I look and he forgot to set the parking brake, the hill brake. So slowly that cart starts and then it picks up steam and there's this big hill I just told you about phew, straight down onto like these really beautiful, nice, like expensive greens. And so off I go. And I could run faster back then than I can now. So I caught it. I, I mean, for me, I'm running like the wind. Probably wasn't quite as fast as all that. But I got in there and stopped it. Like, crisis averted. You know, job saved. Didn't destroy like this thousands of dollar green. Everything's good. Here's the deal. You are parked on a hill with no hill break. And if God did not secure you, you would not be secure. You would be rolling to your own destruction. You don't have the ability to stop yourself. You don't have the ability to keep yourself. You don't have the ability to guard yourself. You are on a hill with no way uh, to not drift backwards. Except if God will keep you. If God will lock the break in. If God will secure you. But here's the good news. God will. He has promised to. In fact, in the book of John already, nothing can snatch you from my hand. And if that's not good enough for you, there's nothing that can snatch you from the Father's hand. So what does Jesus do with this this idea that God has already sovereignly clutched you in his hand and won't let you go unless there's something stronger than God? He prays for God to not let you go. And that's how Jesus does it. In the face of what's already promised, he prays for that promise to hold. And so God... Secure them. Now he opens up the, the request part with this. Holy Father in the, in verse 11. Only time this is, uh, uh, this name for God is used in the book of John. Holy is the word that means utterly above, transcendent, and utterly different than anything else. A category by itself. Um, unique and unlike anything else. So above and different. So when he's saying, Holy Father, he's like, Father that is above everything we can comprehend and different than anything we can comprehend and nothing can compare to you and nothing can rival you. You're in a class by yourself, Holy Father, the one who draws near, the one who cares, the one who provides, the one who protects, the one who's involved, the one who hears. And so he puts these two things side by side. You are way up there and you are amazing and nothing can compare to you. And yet your father also, but I think there's another reason he starts his prayer this way. That's, that's not like any other, or not used anywhere else in the book of John. If you look at verse 17, unfortunately, when we translate things in English, we don't always keep the symmetry that's needed. So, Holy Father is the same root word in verse 17 for sanctified. And so let's think of it this way. Holy Father, make them holy. Holy Father, I am setting myself apart as holy in the cross so that they will be made holy. And so you see that? He begins the prayer. Here's who you are, God, holy and Father. And so what I want to ask of you is to make them holy. And this is a lot like uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 where he's like, be holy. 
For the Lord your God is holy. And so he opens his prayer with, here's who you are, God. And then he closes his prayer, now make us like you. Or make my people like you. And so, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your revealed character. Keep them in the name that you've given me. Meaning, I, Jesus, have revealed your character. I've revealed your name. I've revealed your reputation. I've shown them what you're like. And so, God, keep them within that. So what is he praying for? He's saying, Father, keep their allegiance to your character. Keep their faithfulness to what you're like. Make them faithful to you and faithful to your character and faithful to what you're like. So, Father, please keep them in that. Keep them faithful to you. Keep them faithful to who you are revealed by me. Keep them. Keep them in in, in your name, which you've given me. And then what's going to happen if God keeps us in his character and in his faithfulness? What's the outflow of that going to be? You and I will be one in unity the way the Father and the Son are one in unity. And really the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who have been in perfect unity through all of eternity. In fellowship with themselves, lacking nothing, needing nothing, perfectly supplied relational needs called unity. And so when he's like, God, if you'll keep them in your character and you'll keep them tied to your name, what's going to happen? They're going to live in unity. But unity is not simply we aren't shooting at each other right now. Like, it's not a truce. Unity is not just, hey, we don't have bad feelings towards each other. If you look at it, it's the unity that represents the unity of the Father and the Son. So what's that like? It is lives woven together for all of eternity where the lives are flourishing because they're related to each other. Where unity is actually taking and weaving lives together and weaving people together in a way that, that is not just not negative, but is richly positive and enriching of each other. And so I want my people to be united to each other in a way that enriches their lives by each other and weaves their lives together by each other just the same way we've been doing for all eternity. And that's what's going to happen if you're united to the name of Jesus. That's what's going to happen when you stay close to Jesus and faithfulness to his character is part of who you are. And so let me tell you, there's a really good spiritual warning light in your life if unity begins to rupture and break within your relationships to other people. It's a really big warning light on the dashboard of your life to say, I promise you, you're going the wrong direction. This is not the right path. I Whatever you think you're doing, I know you think it's right or you wouldn't be doing it. I know you can justify it or you wouldn't be doing it. It's a big warning light to say, no, stop. Something's wrong. Because being united to the character of God means we're going to live in unity with each other. Somebody's broken that. Is not secured in that if if that's happening. And so um, they may be one. Just as we are one. Now look at this. While I was with them, I kept them. And so Jesus is like, when I was on earth, this was my job. I secured them. They didn't drift from me. They made a lot of boneheaded decisions, but I called them back. They they were arguing about who's greatest, but I brought them back. I corrected them. I brought them back to faithfulness. I, I, I made their lives look more and more like you, God. I kept them, and I did it so well that I didn't lose any of them. There was this perfect record, in case you're wondering if Jesus can keep you or if Jesus can keep me. There's this perfect record on Jesus' account that he didn't lose one of them. But, wait, there was this one guy, wasn't there? Wasn't there Judas? Like, he didn't make it. Did, 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 like, Jesus mess up on that one? 
Was it a shock that, oh man, Judas turned away. This didn't work out so great. No. He was the son of destruction. He was destined for, destined for eternal destruction. And the scriptures had to be fulfilled by this man walking away. And so I lost none of them except for that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This one guy didn't make him. I kept them. But now what's the problem? I'm leaving. I won't be there to keep them anymore. And so, Father, I'm asking you to keep them in my place. Keep them united to me. Keep them displaying me. That's what my prayer for you is. Now, look at this. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak that their joy might be full. And we've hit joy a good bit in the book of John. John the Baptist in chapter two or three is the first mention. It's like uh, the, bro- the groom's here. I'm just I'm just one of the groomsmen and I'm just excited as I can be that he's here. My joy is good. I'm going to go decrease. He's going to increase. And that's awesome. And then joy disappears from the book until chapter 15. In the farewell discourse where the cross looming, abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The love and abiding that you have in me, I want you to experience it. Then I want you to obey my commandments out of love for me. And that, you know what's going to happen? Your joy is going to be full. And then there's resurrection joy that we talked about in chapter 16. I'm going to go and you're going to have such sorrow and the world's going to rejoice, but... I'm going to see you again and and you're going to have joy again and I'm going to give you the kind of joy that can't be taken away because death is defeated and the gospel is offered and all the things that would threaten your joy they can't survive and, or they can't they can't win anymore. And now it's like he's praying and it's like I'm saying these things that my joy will be fulfilled in them. I'm saying these things that their joy will be full. And that's what's being offered by by Jesus in this. I'm going to secure them because if you secure them in your character, if they have faithfulness to your character, what's the helpful going to be? Joy. You'll have more joy in your life and faithfulness to Jesus than all of the dreams of your imagination being fulfilled. Have you had a couple of dreams in your life and you got to them and then it was kind of like, okay, great, what's next? I have. Like for me, man, I can't wait to get my driver's license. Like I can remember that. So excited. When I drive, man, everything's going to be great. I start to drive and it's like, okay. Well, when I graduate. Okay, when college. Okay, when I make a, get a job. Okay, marriage. Okay, kids. Okay, you know, have enough savings. Okay. And we have these small dreams for our life. And if we think if we just get those, man, everything's going to be great. Only to find when we get there... We just want something else. And Jesus is like, if you'll stay faithful to my character and father, if you'll keep them united in faithfulness to me and looking like me and living for me, my joy will be part of their experience. And so he prays for your faithfulness because your faithfulness will mean your joy. And then he's got one more thing we need to, to hit. And it's a big wake up call. Um, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I've given them your word. They aren't in the world anymore. They don't, or they don't belong to the world anymore. And since they don't belong to the world anymore, the world hates them. But what he does is he cautions us against two huge dangers that we face as American Christians. Danger one... You know, he's like, I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but here's what we have done, at least in generations of Christianity within America in different times, is we've said, okay, since we're not 
of the world, then we are going to isolate ourselves from the world. And if we can create a good enough Christian bubble and we can bar the doors of the church so that only decently moral people can get in, then maybe that that world won't infect us and infect our kids and then we'd lose them. So let's just let's just Christianize like a Lysol spray our kids and our family and, and ourselves and our churches. And if we can just Christianize enough and keep that world out there, then we'll be okay. And what does Jesus say? I don't ask you to take them out of the world, God. Leave them there. So that's been a huge problem that we've seen go in tides and waves throughout American Christianity. Is We're just going to isolate. Great. Except you make zero impact on culture. And when you're called to be salt and light and salt's gone, there's nothing to preserve the rot of culture anymore. Because we didn't do our job of salting the world with a better flavor. And preserving the world with the only preservative that there is by marching the grace of God out into it. But then there's another problem, I think. And the other problem, I think, is one that's probably a little more uh, today. And it's, okay, well, well I'm going to just be then like the world. I'm not going to isolate anymore because I want to be relevant to the world. And, and we've pulled in, like, if it's relevant and if it's, if it's something that's cool to the world, then what I'll just be is kind of world light. And so I'll look like the world and we'll kind of talk like the world and I won't have any massive distinctions from the world. And when I do, I'll just keep those quiet because if I do, and I think it's good intentions because if I do, they'll listen. And if they listen, they'll believe and it'll be good. And so in the name of relevance, we have become confused with the world instead of isolated from the world. And I get it. Like, you see why it would happen. I don't want to be this weird Christian subculture anymore that has no impact on the world around it. So let me just go. But when I'm over here, I'm confused with the world. And if a salt loses its saltiness, how will it then be flavored? And if you take your light and you hide it under a basket, what good is it? You will never make a difference in the world by being like the world. You won't make a difference in the world isolating from it either. So what is the deal? Engage the world. Engage the world. Put on some mud boots. Say, God, if you don't keep me, I won't be kept. If you don't keep me faithful, I won't be faithful because I'm about to wade in the mud you called me out of. And if you let it into my heart, then it's going to take me back over. But I believe you won't. I'm going to walk back in the world. I'm going to let the world's mud splash all up on me. And it won't get in me anymore. But instead, what will come out of me is light and salt. And I will walk right into this nasty, messy world. And I will see Jesus make a difference in the lives of the people around me. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. Is it as neat and tidy as Christianizing? No. It won't be. Is it like just getting confused with the world and being like them? No, it's not. It is with a desire to be holy because God is holy. It's with a burning desire to see Eden planted in a world that's cursed with the fall again. It's a, I want to see life flourish. I want to see, I want to see broken things made whole. And to do that, I've got to go walk into broken places and I got to go walk into broken people. And if I do that, broken things are sharp and they stick. And messy things are messy things. But that's where Jesus walked and that's where Jesus is walking now and that's where Jesus will use your life to make a difference. All right, spend too much time there. Here we go. For the Father to secure them in the face of the world's temptation so God keep them from the evil one. I want them to be so deep into the world that if you don't keep them from the evil one's temptations and keep them from the evil one's opposition, they'll be taken over by him. 
Because I'm not asking you to get them out. I'm asking you to keep them as they walk. Last one. For the Father to set them apart by the work of Jesus for the mission of Jesus. Three verses here. For the Father to set them apart by the work of Jesus for the mission of Jesus. And so his second and closing request, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Make them holy by your truth. For your word is truth. Now I want to, I'm going to just make this connection instead of diving in all the words. Sanctify means set apart for sacred service. Set apart for God. Set apart for God's purposes. So like in the temple, there were holy instruments, meaning you couldn't take those home, dip them in a, a water pot and drink out of them like they're ordinary. They could only be used in the temple for the service of God, for the purpose of God. And so you are a holy vessel. You can't just go be ordinary anymore. You are set apart for the purposes of God. What are the purposes of God? The mission of God. And so we'll put it this way. Sanctification leads to sentness. I'm using big words. I'll, I'll make it smaller in a second. Don't worry. Sanctification leads to sentness. I'm using the words of the text. Let's put it this way. Discipleship always leads to mission. Discipleship always leads to mission. Do you see it in the text? Sanctify them in truth. What is the means that God is going to make them holy? The truth of God's word. So when you saturate your life in the book of God, when you saturate your life in the words of truth and it pours into your heart and it fills up the crevices of your heart, meaning you really love this book and you burn for this book and this book is, is better than gold, much fine gold, and it's sweeter than honey from the honeycombs. And that's the way you love the book of God. When that happens, the natural outflow and the way you know you're doing it right is the natural outflow of that will be mission to the world around you do you see this in the text i'm not making it up right sanctify them in truth your word is truth saturate your life with truth as the father sent me as you sent me father to the world i am sending them to the world you see that that's jesus now this isn't chris Sanctify them, make them holy, set them apart for your purposes, grow them because they're sent. Send them. And then he talks about how is this? It's going to be by the work of the cross. I've consecrated myself. I'm going to the cross. I'm fulfilling the purpose you had for me by dying on a cross to rescue humanity. And on the basis of that, I want you to make them holy. I want, to, I want you to sanctify them. Sanctification always leads to sentness. If your life is really filled up with the book of God, one of the outflows and one of the ways you know you're doing it right is that sentness will come out of your life to the world around you. The mission of God to restore Eden in this world will be part of your life. To take the places where weeds have tangled and choked and killed and to pull them back and put life-giving plants in its place. That's the image of the gospel. And so is it... Is it offering the gospel of salvation to people? Absolutely it is that. Is it limited to that? No. Whatever the curse has touched in the world is what the gospel means to undo in the world until Jesus finally comes back and undoes it all and puts it back into Eden at the end. And that's what we as gospel people have is we have the seeds of Eden's plants to put back into the ground of a cursed earth until he comes back to restore everything. 
Sanctification will always lead to sentness. Discipleship. Loving the book always leads to mission. If not, something's broken. Something's broken in our love of the word. Something's broken in our discipleship. A couple practical things as we wrap up. Believe and follow. The gospel is his work, not yours. It's offered you by the free gift of his grace. And you get to turn and believe it. And so have you ever believed it? Have you ever had your, have you ever felt the conviction of your sin, knowing that it separates you from a holy God, knowing that there is no hope, there is no remedy, there is no way back? And then the Holy Spirit turned the light on and you saw Jesus. And you saw that he lived and he died and he rose again to offer you life. And you turned from your sin and yourself and you put your faith in Jesus alone to save you. Have you had that moment? Believe. And if you believe, follow. Because the gospel is meant to be obeyed. Faith is a faith that actually changes you. Faith is something that ties you to the side of Jesus Christ. That's what saving faith does. Believe and follow. Secondly, saturate yourself in the word. Uh, in our Wednesday night study, we're doing a, a, a discipleship book. And we just talked about four questions to kind of help our, our Bible study. And it's like, if you'll just look in the Bible, because it's about God and it's about Jesus. If you'll just look in the Bible and you'll find out like who God is, then it'll, you know, you'll be stunned with who God is. And if you see what God has done, you'll be amazed at what God has done. And if you're stunned by who God is and amazed at what God has done, then, then it's going to actually show up in the way you live your life. And so are you looking for God in the book? Are you looking for what God has done in the book? Are you letting God tell you who you are by the book? Because those three things will end up in a changed life. And it will motivate a different kind of living. A different kind of mission. The kind that Jesus says is salt and light. It flavors and it preserves the world around you. Instead of letting it just go into decay and rot. It brightens a world that is filled with darkness. And darkness can't overcome the light. But we sure can stick a basket over the top of it. So it's really hard to see. But that's not the purpose of a light, is it? The purpose of a light is to shine as brightly as it possibly can. And so I want to challenge you. Saturate yourself in this book so that you're filled with saltiness. You're filled with flavor. You make life more flavorable. And you preserve the world around you. And you shine into the world around you. And then lastly, be on mission. We use the serve and share with two. You want me to make that practical for you? You may have like a little bitty dorm or college table in your house. And it's got like two and a half seats. Fill it up with three people then. Right? Stick some people around that table. Grab a chair from the living room. You may have this grand dining room. Fill up your grand dining room. You may have something in between. Open up your table. Put whatever food on it that you can provide and you can make with your skills or or your abilities and then fill that table up with people that know jesus and need to be reminded and fill that table up with people that don't know jesus and need to know and hear and experience it and just let your table be filled with life that's a way you could do it find tangible ways to bless and help and serve the people around you and then don't be ashamed of the gospel of jesus don't be ashamed that you love jesus just open your mouth and talk about jesus as the time comes and it will come be on mission Jesus' desire for us is that we are kept faithful and that we are changed so that we're on mission, right? Secured, sanctified, sent. Jesus' alliteration, not mine. Secured, sanctified, and sent. Let's pray. So, Father, keep us because we can't keep ourselves. Bind our wandering hearts.
to you. Or they will wander. They will wander far away. Go searching for us and draw us back, we pray. And God, for those who are here today that need the good shepherd to go find them, go find them, Father, and bring them back. For those that don't know you, awaken them, call them out of this world to you. And then God, for all of us, sanctify us and send us. Grow us and launch us. Let us not be content with anything less than Jesus' burning, prayerful desire for our lives. God, we pray for that. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.